Oop, I didn't open my drink yet. It's going to be on air. All right. Oops. There you go. My delicious polar take seltzer. You can't take a sip as I open mine, knowing I'm going to be taking a sip right afterwards. Whatever. It's done. Which polar is it? Uh, black cherry. Eh. Basic basic flavors. Yeah. I enjoy it's it. It's okay. I got ginger lime here. I guess they oh. just added the uh, ginger lime to the cans. Oh, well, we don't have the fancy cans yet. We have uh, black cherry, cranberry lime, lime, uh, orange vanilla, and plain, and black cherry. I think are the main flavors we have. It's like five or six. Cranberry lime's solid. Cranberry lime and orange, vanilla are, and orange vanilla are the two like go-tos. So, and good. lime is the most refreshing. Anyway. All right. Welcome to Off Talk. What, uh, what have you been up to, Brad? Oh, you know, just uh, doing things and stuff. Did, uh, let's see. Hmm. Putting you on the last, spot. Yeah, last time we talked, did I have cars here yet? Oh, yes. They, they, oh, they yes. just arrived, I think, that day, right? Yep, uh, yep. We covered uh, swapping the starter on the Colts, all that good stuff. Excellent. So the guys are here. We got to that point. So mm-hmm. they were put in the yard. Um, they were dirty as anything. They were the dirtiest things I've ever seen in my life. Must have been a hell of a journey. Uh, I still have not cleaned the Starion, uh, but I did clean the Colt, thankfully, uh, and I used it pretty much all week. So that was good. Um, I did a bunch of maintenance to it. Did the plugs, did the cap, did the rotor. I didn't do the wires because I did them like 4,000 miles ago. So I figured they're probably still okay. And they're NGK wires. So I'd rather have 4,000 mile NGK wires than a brand new set of like whatever O'Reilly sells. So I left the wires alone. Um, I'm waiting for my valve cover gasket to come in because I had to adjust the valves in the car. So I didn't want to obviously adjust the valves and then take the old car apart again when I get the new valve cover gasket in. So I'll wait for the new valve cover gasket. Um, I also need to replace the gasket on the oil filter housing. So that is the one, the two leaks the car has are right there. Once those are repaired, there'd be no more leaks. I thought that so it had good. a, I thought the oil filter just screwed onto the block. It does not. Hmm. Which is weird because every other Mitsubishi four-cylinder that I've ever had, it screws directly on the block. Well, except so. for a 4G63. Okay, every other early Mitsubishi product that yeah. I have. So the Montero, the Starion, the other Colts, it just screws on the side of the block. But not this one. This one's got a, uh, a little separate housing that is off the side of the block and it puts it at an angle. I don't know if maybe it's because of emissions, like the catalytic converter is in the way off, off of the intake manifold, but unfortunately it's uh, it's definitely in the way. So uh, changing the oil in the car is not difficult, but it requires removing an undershield, which I bet there aren't many 78 Colts left. Well, there aren't many left period, but I bet there certainly aren't many left that still have the metal undershield, like the, the drip pan under the front of the car. So it's a, it's a metal drip pan that goes from frame rail to frame rail. And it's held on with uh, four or 12 millimeter bolts. So I bet I bet there aren't many of those left. <laughs> so I make sure to take that off and put that back on every time because you need to drain the oil out of the car or change the oil filter, I should say. So yeah, it's also not a standard Mitsubishi filter either, which is odd. Oh, it isn't? not no i can't use a standard filter on it it's a different a different thread pitch that's a weird so yep. that's like the unicorn like that's so it's so different than anything else yeah i i remember originally thinking that it was like an aftermarket unit or something like why would this be like this um but when you look the filter number up online it uh it comes up with the correct one so it's definitely the same as all of the that body style colt i guess Whatever. No big deal. I just can't use my stash of Mitsubishi filters to, to change the oil on this one. I have to buy a filter from the parts store. But it works. 
So it's changed. Anyway, long story short, or long story long, because you know what? It's a podcast. We got to kill an hour, right? Yeah, go for it. Um, car runs pretty good now, a lot better than it was. I know I was having some issue with cold idle. Um, the car would surge a lot and buck a lot. Um, I have a couple of ideas of what's going on there now, and it's a little less than it was. So fast forward through the week from the last time we talked, I did those maintenance items to the car. Um, I decided this was on Friday night. What day is it today? It's Tuesday, so four days ago. I said, well, I got the car up and running. Um, I got my temp tags here. I might as well go ahead and take the car on a couple errands. Um, I don't know if I told the temp tag story on air here. So I had gotten tags for it when it was still in Massachusetts so we could drive it in Massachusetts. And so it would be registered and insured when it was shipped. And it'd be easier for you to move it from your house to wherever the shipping location was going to be. Um, unfortunately, the registry screwed up and they gave me the wrong kinds of plates. So I had to straighten that situation out. So the plates that originally were on the car are a special plate that's reserved for classic vehicles. Not antique Well, it's vehicles. a classic vehicle. So there is a special um, designation of a classic vehicle that's not your standard like 25-year-old car. So you have to have it. Um, I'm going to screw up the name of the car club. Um, so it's the AACA, the oh sorry, the CCCA, the Classic Car Club of America. They have a list of cars that are considered approved classics, meaning they have to be of some kind of historical significance and built before 1948. In order to get these plates in Arizona for classic car, you need to submit a request and then they need to have proof of the car it's going on that it is a true classic car. And they are much like the regular historic vehicle plates, which are copper with red writing on them, except they're copper with green writing on them. So I didn't realize that they screwed up at the registry because I got my paper tags and I was like, cool, paper tags, here we go. Uh, and then when the correct plates came in the mail, when the, the actual hard plates, not correct plates, came in the mail, they were copper colored with a green outline and green lettering, which means that my 1978 Colt was registered as a pre-1948 classic from the, the antique, like the whatever, CCCA, Classic Car Club of America. As it should be. Uh, I mean, hey, listen, no argument here. Um, but anyway, I'm looking at it, I'm going, my luck, I'm going to be driving around, and I'll get that one cop that knows the rules, and he'll be like, that plate doesn't belong in that car, and then I'll get pulled over, and then the car will be towed due to some glitch in the system where I got the wrong plates, and I had no idea, and I, I may as well get the right plates because it just makes the most sense. So I went back to the registry, and they admitted their mistake. Um they didn't know how they did it because they had to like enter in a special area to get the classic car plates, but they did it. So they owned up to it. Um, there's no cost difference between the historic plates and the classic plates, So it didn't cost me any more. I just got a new temp tag, which is good for this story because on the transport truck between Massachusetts and Arizona, the temp tag fatigued and fell off the car. Most of it did. There was still like the outside edges of it because for some reason it's perforated in exactly the places where it would un perforate itself and blow away. So I got here with no plates. So thankfully I had new temp tags here for it. So Friday night I drive the car. I went and I did a couple errands. Um, went back out from the store, went to start the car. It started and it bubbled a little bit and then it like, Conked out and wouldn't refire. Could not for the life of me get it to refire. So it sounded to me like there was, <clears throat> it was good compression. Didn't have like, I didn't blow the motor up. There was no super bad things were happening. I knew it was getting fuel because I could certainly smell fuel. So now I'm like, great, I flooded the car. 
Um, thankfully, the parking lot that I was in was within a walking distance of a Walmart. So I walked over to Walmart and bought a can of starting fluid. Um, managed to get it started with starting fluid. So now I'm like in my brain thinking of what could be the issue here. The only thing I can think of is vapor lock. Because vapor lock a lot of times would cause a car to not start like that. It might start with the fuel in the float bowl. And then once that fuel is gone, it'll die out because there's no more fuel coming from the fuel line into the carburetor. So do you know the basics of what vapor lock is caused by? I assume. Yeah, you're, it's usually like when the, the engine heat is boiling the, the fuel, the gasoline in the carburetor. So you just end up with vapor instead of actual liquid fuel. Yeah, so I guess what happens is when you turn your car off, for the first few minutes that you turn your car off, the underhood temperatures actually go up. Mm-hmm. Because there's no more air flowing through, there's no more fuel flowing through the lines, and there's no more coolant flowing through the coolant. So all of the these superheated metals under the hood, they heat soak everything under the hood. So what happens is anything that is prone to boiling is near a heat source might boil. And like you said, it'll turn to vapor. Think like steam when you're boiling water. That's what happens to the fuel. And you can't run a internal combustion engine on vapor. It needs to be run on actual liquid fuel. So what happens is the area on my particular car, it seems, and this is my best guess based on what I'm seeing so far, that the area between the filter under the hood and the carburetor is fairly short. So I think what's happening is the fuel that's in that part of the line is what's getting heated and boiling. Um, Because it started doing it again the next day. I went to a Cars and Coffee Saturday morning, and I would just start the car at Cars and Coffee, and the same thing, it wouldn't start. Now, I had this thought in my head that this might be an issue, so I brought along the starting fluid with me, so it wasn't like a super embarrassing in the parking lot of Cars and Coffee for an hour trying to get the car started situation. I was able to, you know kind of slightly open the hood, give it a couple of squirts down the throat of the carb and, and fire it right up before anybody really noticed. Um, one particular old timer came over and was giving me tips and tricks to uh, avoid vapor lock. And none of them seemed to make much sense, but you know, they were like old wives tales kind of thing, like to put a bunch of clothespins on the fuel line. And I was like, uh, okay, sure. <laughs> Hmm. I mean, I guess possibly a metal clothespin could work as a, uh, like a heat sink and maybe it wouldn't heat the line as much, but I, Oh, that's funny. You, you went there. I went to like a one way valve, like it would keep fuel up there. Oh, maybe. Well, the thing is that the filter is so close to the carb and the filter is one way anyway. So there would still be fuel in that filter. It's a mechanical fuel pump in the car. So it's not like a, so the, the, yeah, so the fuel pump is on the cylinder head, and then the fuel yeah. filter is only a few inches away from the fuel pump, and that fuel... Yeah, but th- Go ahead. But the, the engine needs to run for it to pump fuel, though. That's the catch-22 of that. Oh, exactly. So well, once cranking over, it pumps fuel. You know, it's yeah. pumping up and down. So, um, But what's happening is because that fuel pump is directly on the cylinder head, that means that the line from the fuel pump to the carburetor and the line from the fuel pump to the fuel filter are both very short. So I would think they could probably get heat sinked a lot faster or heat soaked, excuse me, a lot faster than a different kind of setup. So I think that's where the problem lies. Um, I have since found a way around it. If I put my foot, to, if I pump the gas pedal twice and like just put my foot to the floor and crank it over, I can usually power through it with just fuel pushing through the vapor. But I need to do that first. If I don't start the car that way, it just it will it will all be blown to smithereens, and I'll have to use the uh, starting fluid to start it. So I haven't fixed this problem yet, but I have a couple of solutions in mind. Um, one is the car originally had a heat shield around the fuel pump, which yeah. looking at my car, it does not have. So I need to look to see if I can build some kind of like just metal 90 degree thing to protect the fuel pump from heat. Um, and also if I make the line a little bit longer because they're suspiciously short, I'm wondering if at one point the line cracked or broke or they changed something and they cut the line and just kind of 
put it back the way it was because the line it really hugs the cylinder head between the fuel pump and the carburetor. So I think that mm-hmm. that line might just need to be a little bit longer, so it's not hugging the hot engine parts. Um, do like a do like a copper still, like a moonshine still. Have it come out and yeah. coil. Yeah, and exactly. Then you can build a little thing around it. Put ice in there. Yes, yes, that'll be my solution. Um, however, one thing I also noticed was the fact that this car had a pretty um, was pretty difficult to drive when you hot started it and first got back into it. So it was fine if you started it cold and drove away, but if you hot started the car after being parked for you know a half hour, forty minutes or so, um, the car like bucked wildly. Like you could barely drive the car. It so that diesel on me the other night when I brought it over to your dad's when I went to shut mm, it off. That's not that's not a normal thing either. Hmm. Um, but anyway, the the bucking when you first start the car in a hot start is also a symptom of vapor lock because it's a combination of having fuel, liquid fuel, and vaporized fuel in the fuel line. So it's not getting good fuel delivery, which is why once you start driving the car for a little while, that that bucking goes away and the car drives fine. So I think that all of these problems are all related and I can probably fix them all like with one solution. I just need to figure out exactly what that solution is. So did it, does it run hot still? Yes and no. The gauge, show hot? the gauge still shows hot after a long highway run. Um, so that was what was weird was leaving my house the other night in the less than five miles from my house to where our parents live. It was like, it got hot right as I was coming around the corner. But it wasn't actually hot. Yeah. And then that's when it diesel was when I shut it off. Yeah. So I, I wasn't driving car. it hard. I was just driving it just to get it over there because the, uh, I was riding dirty with those tags on there. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the drive between here and the cars and coffee that I went to Saturday morning was, you know, it was about 20 minutes and most of that was on the highway. Um, and I was doing, 70 75 the whole way and uh, it got pretty warm on the gauge i'm we've done this a thousand times we talked about this before every time the gauge gets hot for a long time i pulled the car over i popped the hood and i used an infrared thermometer on you know the thermostat housing top of the radio the bottom of the radio the cylinder head yeah and it was never more than like 195 that's normal that's totally normal so what I'm thinking is there's something wrong in the gauge itself, what the gauge sweep is. And when the thermostat is closed and it's running, you know, 195, 200 degrees, that whatever that whatever that resistance in the gauge is, is just not it's either a dirty connection or something with, wrong with the resistor. And it gets to that temperature and it just shoots the temp rate up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's where it is. And I still keep saying I'm going to put an auxiliary gauge in there just to see, but because that gauge is part of the main cluster and I don't, you know, it's not, I don't want to take it all apart if it's not what the problem is. So, um, obviously I've changed the temp sensor and stuff under the hood. It's not that. So, um, but yeah, I've just, I just don't worry about it anymore. I think, <laughs> um, yeah. if it gets to a point where, I mean, cause if the car actually is hot and overheating, there's going to be more signs than just the gauge being high. So yeah, I'm not tremendously stressed out about it. It's winter time here. It's not 105 degrees. Excuse me, when I was driving it the other day, it was like 70, so it was no warmer than Massachusetts, so it was fine. Massachusetts was actually warmer. Yeah, actually, it's been warmer there the past like five days than it has been here. It was it, it, 40, it was nearly it was, 75 today. It was 41 degrees here when one overnight last week. And on that overnight, it rained, and it was, for me, too close to comfort for snow, because if it had been like 36 and raining... Wouldn't have been raining. It'd have been snowing. So that was uh, strange to see that here. It's not common, but it's going to be back up in the 80s later on this week. So no big deal. But anyway, so that's the update with the Colt at the moment. The car is running really good. It's just having a vapor lock issue when it's been sitting for, you know, more than 45 minutes, less than three hours. I'll say it's probably the, the range of time. So I need to figure that last little bit out and then I can go on to the still try to figure out what the temperature issue is. Um, I will just eventually just, I'm going to run a gauge off that one wire connector under the hood and see what can happen just for more accuracy and more peace of mind. So 
on the other note, Project Car updates on the Colt. Um, friend of ours, friend of the show, also fellow Mitsubishi enthusiast, uh, Moises, um, found a taillight for me for the car. So I'm sure people who have been listening to the show from the beginning remember there was a time where the car was blowing fuses and we traced it back to the crack in the taillight. It was filling up with water. And we I don't remember that. So what was happening was I'd be driving the car and all of a sudden I'd have no lights except headlights. No dash, oh. no side markers, no taillights. Um, every Mitsubishi between the years of like, I don't know, 1970 and the mid-1990s, all of the marker lights and taillights and interior lights are all run on the same circuit. So the headlights are a separate circuit, you know, so it was, didn't affect the headlights. But what happened was the taillight had a, has a crack in the top, top left corner of the right taillight. And what was happening was that being in New England, obviously a bigger issue than here in Arizona because it rains all the time. So when it was raining out, everything would be fine until I turned the headlights on and then the water would pool up where the um, license plate marker light is and it would short that fuse and it would blow out every light in the entire car except for the headlights. So mm. once I figured once I figured out that was all in that circuit and that was what was happening, <laughs> um, I knew I had to get a taillight for it. So I've been looking for a taillight for this car for, I don't know, three, four years now. Um, I found a left taillight for a 77 car, which is a different design. But I bought it and I was like, well, this means that whatever right taillight I find first, whether it be for a 78 or a 77, I can just swap for a match set. So Moises found a taillight actually for a 78, so it matches the car um, at a junkyard down in Tucson. Uh, and he picked it up for me, and last time he was up here in Phoenix, he, he brought it by. It was like $30, well worth it all day long. Nice. So, yeah, so I cleaned that all up. Um, it was typical junkyard. It was muddy and dirty and all scratched. And um, so I've been buffing and polishing that the past couple of nights after work. Um, I just picked up last night some foam tape to recreate the gaskets to go behind it because they're, they all fell apart. Obviously they're all hard and trash. So I'm going to create the gaskets on both sides, put new gaskets in, and then I'll have two nice fresh taillights without any cracks in them in the back of the car and no longer have an issue of blowing fuses on the marker lights. So that's a positive thing. Nice. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. I had the same problem with the brown cold. It was blowing fuses all the time while driving. Because the gaskets were bad and water would get in the back, and then they'd all go out, and I'd have no no lights driving home. So I would, if it happened on the road, I used to drive home with a foot like lightly on the brake pedal, just so I had daylights. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whatever you got to do, right? So nice. Yeah, so it's a little bit of progress is being made. You know, it's been it's been a busy a busy few days. Otherwise, I've had too much time to work on stuff, but. You know, we're getting uh, we're getting there. So, yeah. So speaking of headlights and taillights, I did take uh, took both my cars for inspection stickers. Excellent. They were due in October. The day I wanted to take them, it snowed, and then a week later, it was seventy degrees out. So, sure. Um. Yeah. Might as well get it done. Yeah. Um. I was driving the Glen around. So I've been chasing that idle problem forever. Car had a bunch of weird little problems for a long time that all kind of added up, and I found them one by one. And the idle problem ended up being the, the throttle cable somehow tightened up, it was holding the throttle plate open. So the car idles great once it's warm. You know, obviously it's fast idle, it'll be like at 1500. As soon as it's warm, it drops to a thousand. And the big thing that I noticed if you're driving and you're coming to a stop, and I was like trying to explain this to people and like people just couldn't really get it or really understand like, like, oh, you're, you have a vacuum leak or you have the, you've got your throttle body is messed up or like it's the bypass water valve thing on the throttle plate. I forget what it's called, the FIA or whatever it is. Um, and I'm like, no, it's none of those things. Trust me. It's not, that is not what it's doing because when you, like my driveway is a little bit of a hill and if you're sitting in the car and it's idling, normal idling, running temp, 
you're not touching a thing and you let it roll down the hill, the idle speed will raise. But it, ra- it doesn't rate like the town also does this, but it raises a little bit. The like Mirage, hundred, the Mirage did like, that too. Like a couple hundred RPMs. This thing raises like to fifteen hundred. Hmm. And when you're driving down the road and you go to come to a stop, all of a sudden you've come to a complete stop and the revs are at two thousand, and then you go, Ooh, and then they drop to idle, like on a, like, like a two second delay. So it won't allow the car to drop to idle while it's still rolling, basically. Yeah, it's super annoying. But I'm like, where is the signal coming from? And I was kind of talking about it on the New England DSM Facebook group. And people were like, yeah, it does get a signal from the vehicle speed sensor. And I was like, okay, that's kind of what I thought. So I went and I looked it up in the factory service manual. It does inside the gauge cluster is the vehicle speed sensor, which is weird. So it's like, it's like backwards of normal. It's backwards of a new car. Yeah. So normally you'd have that vehicle speed sensor would be down on the transmission on a brand, on the tr- like on a yeah. new, you know, on a new OBD two car because that would send the signal to the cluster to tell you to show the speed on like how much speed you're getting, right, right. But instead, this is cable driven from the transmission into the cluster, and then the speedo is what drives the speed sensor. Okay, and apparently it's a five volt signal out of the ECU that goes by the. Uh, it's like a read sensor. So as it spins, it pulses this five volt signal to ground. And that's what the faster it pulses, the faster the car is going slower. It pulses, the slower the car is going. So there is a ground. I haven't checked it yet. I'm going to, I want to go in there and check it and just maybe clean the ground or check for anything that's loose in the cluster. Cause I'm thinking maybe it's lazier. It's getting a dirty signal because it should as I slow down, it should let the idle come down, not to true idle where it would be totally sitting, but it shouldn't hang for two seconds and then drop. It should gradually come down. Okay. It's just a weird quirk the car has, but it's like it's an annoying, annoying one, to drive it that way. Yeah, because you come to a stop and the thing's like, and then it drops. Hmm. And you can and actually not- see it on my Instagram at the end of the video I had the other day. It's It does it. Yeah, it's not it's not like the car's quiet either, so it's annoying when driving around like downtown area somewhere. Yeah, and it never did it before. Yeah. Uh it, this is a pretty recent problem. I remember and, I had a similar uh, issue with the white Starion before in traffic, and it was an issue with the um the ISC in that car, but that's different totally different setup, so it's not related at all. But. No, but all that stuff is new. Like I've gone through the TPS, I've gone through the ISC, I've gone through all the setting of it. There's no vacuum leaks. Everything's set up. There's a closed throttle plate switch. Um, that's either an on-off switch, but using the ECM link, I've eliminated that and calibrated the throttle position sensor. So now it gets that signal from the throttle position sensor instead. So okay. it sees when it's closed. It tells the car to go to, to coasting fuel cut. Basically, the point of the ECU getting a signal from the vehicle speed sensor is to not let the car stall if you let off the the gas while you're coasting down the highway or something Hmm. like it doesn't want the rpms to drop all the way so it doesn't safe spot if it drops too far too fast yeah too far too fast the car might stall out that's what it's supposed to exactly not doing yeah yeah um because it will cut fuel when it's idling if the rpms raise above 1500 uh, seeing no other input from the driver because it it doesn't want the you know it doesn't want the idle to just run away yep. and the car to redline for some reason so um, yeah it's a super weird little thing I'll have to figure out that speed but, sensor thing must be a carryover from earlier cars because you know, I, don't, I don't know a lot about the electronic components and stuff from the 80s and early 90s but you know like most earlier vehicles would have you know your speedometer gears driven out of your transmission but the transmission doesn't have any kind of signal on it. It's just a cable that literally goes to the back of your speedometer. So it's probably just a carryover how they had it from whatever the last one was. Because while you're talking about that, I was thinking about the Sapporo and the issues I have with the speedometer in that car. And I remember changing out the piece in the transmission, thinking it was faulty. 
and then taking it out and all it was was legitimately just a gear and a cable there was nothing electronic down there at all so it, it yeah spins, so it spins in there, something in the back of the cluster and that car is a um digital gauge so it doesn't like spin a mechanical gauge it spins some kind of a some kind of a sensor yeah so in their mind they were probably thinking that it would be simpler it kind of makes sense that you'd run a mechanical cable from the transmission instead of having to run harness and a sensor down there, uh, probably from ease of building it and the way the transmissions are set up, because those transmissions have been around for a while, it would just be easier to localize the sensor to the cluster. Yeah, and, and, and I, I haven't looked at the schematic for like a DSM, but I, I assume it's set up the same way. Well, I get, you're probably thinking of that car was built in many different regions with many different power plants. And that simplified it oh, that way. Right hand, left hand drive. Yeah, and that simplified it that way as well because they probably had, there's probably some, you know, I don't know what country it would come out in, but like some 1.6 liter carburetor version of that vehicle. And they probably just, you know, keep everything simple for that reason. So back in, yeah. that, back in that era, they very well could have been. <laughs> yeah, so at least luckily I have the the factory service manual. And it is, it's neat because sometimes when you look through it, it does for certain components, most components, it actually has a description of what it does, like the theory of operation mm-hmm. and then what could happen if it doesn't work, which is kind of cool. So that was very helpful to find that. Yeah, the and, um, Mitsubishi factory service manuals have been very, uh, very helpful. <laughs> They're very well written books. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to um, follow the little procedure for it and just double check the, the grounds and stuff. And then I'm thinking too, we've seen with... Like my voltmeter in the Montero, the 99, mm-hmm. the two little nuts were loose in the back. That was causing it not to show the right charging. Uh, just from age and probably like heat cycling in the interior, like they backed off. And I think Andy Lilienthal had a similar issue with one of their Monteros with the fuel gauge. Or it was the temp gauge. They had an or- instrument cluster issue. We're Not saying all this. What's that? So we're saying all this right now. After we talked about my Colt, maybe my Colt has the same issue. That's what I was thinking. Like if you yeah. just took the cluster out and looked behind it, there's probably some tiny like six mil uh, nuts on there, and maybe just from vibration and you know heating, cooling, they've just backed off just a little bit, yeah, and that connection's not great, and it's messing up. So it's worth trying, rather than going down the whole rabbit hole of like figure out like if it's the cluster issue or so that's why I'm going to start by just like cleaning the ground, checking the connections and then I'll go from there. You know, if I need a new cluster, I'll, I'll have to figure that out. Like, cause I'll, I'm sure I'll have to find a used one and like pull the components out of it. Yeah. But I don't want to get that a, far. Hopefully there's a spare one. Like, there's a spare one in the trunk of my galant next door. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's, it's simpler and it's just like, Dirty grounds, loose wiring, thirty-year-old car—you know, stuff like that happens. Yeah, very well. Good. It's funny you say it's simpler to pull the cluster out in the Colt. It would not be so. <laughs> it would require pulling the dash part. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't. You can't just take the face of the cluster out like you can in a more modern car. But I do oh, have to. I do have to. It's got a bezel that goes from the glove box all the way across. Um. And it's tied into the dash pad on top, so it's a it's a bit more work, um, but I do have to take it apart anyway because I do have a factory AM radio to put in the in the Ooh. radio slots. I'm not going to wire it in because I don't want to use an AM radio, obviously. But I, it's got empty radio hole, so I know, what I'd are you like to listen to like Coast to Coast, Art Bell. Listen, whatever I want. All right, I spent a year commuting in the eighty Colt with an AM radio, so. I listened to the. You were very the, well informed. The WB. I was not. I was not very well informed because the WBZ loop literally plays the same news story on repeat every hour and a half. So, news on the eights. Yeah, that's exactly what. Traffic on the sixes. Yeah. Hey, in today's news, there's lots of traffic on Star Road Drive. I know. I'm sitting in it. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I. The plan for that car eventually is a very period-looking stereo setup. Um, that runs off of a hidden Bluetooth component. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the AM, the AM radio will be in place where the factory radio goes. So nobody will know the wiser, but 
I have to pull a dash apart to put that in. So when I do that, I can check the back of the cluster. So future projects. Any other project car updates? I have not worked on anything else. I've been specifically working on that car. Um, yeah, we covered fixing the eclipse. Um, we covered my yeah, we covered my, my mind blowing oil change. Yep. Um, I haven't touched the Toyota in a little while because I was working on the Colts. I have the Starion is going to be next. I got to drop the tank out of that this weekend. Um, so we can talk about that later. Find out where it's leaking from. Oh um, boy. And maintenance on the Volkswagen this weekend. So we can talk about that next week. There'll be a lot of stuff next week going on, but this week that's all I worked on. Cool. I did some events. Oh yeah, what what did you? So I've talked a few times about uh, events here in the Phoenix area, actually in Scottsdale, at the uh, Four Till Four Coffee Shop. Four Till Four being um, four minutes of four is three five six, and they're Porsche enthusiasts, so they have a Porsche three fifty six, and the decor in the place is all very um, Porsche related. So anyway, they host a weekly cars and coffee on Saturday mornings. Um, and more recently they've been doing special events on Sundays too. So there's a group here called Arizona air cooled. That's a primarily Volkswagen group. Obviously the name means that a couple of Porsches in there too. And some other weird air cooled stuff might show up once in a while, but um, they used to have a monthly meet at the Phoenix public market, which was, I think a coffee shop here as well. I never actually made it there. Um, and unfortunately the Phoenix public market did not make it through the, um, the COVID pandemic shutdowns and crisis and all that stuff. So they lost their spot. So the four till four cafe became their new spot and they had their first show there this past Sunday. Um, and, uh, Naomi and I took a ride over there and, and crashed the party in the cult. Uh, we didn't park at the show because I'm not that kind of guy. We parked around the corner um, and walked over to the air cool show. And uh, I got to tell you, I don't know what it is about the events at four till four, but the crowd they attract and the vehicles they attract are exactly what you or I or anybody listening to the show would want to see. You know, you don't get the 15 brand new focuses parked to 15 brand new challengers parked to 15 brand new Mustangs. You don't get that. I mean, you wouldn't get that at an air-cooled event, obviously, but every event they have there is just, it's its so good. And the cars that show up are so good. Um, I mean, there was everything there that you can think of air-cooled from the you know, a Beetle, obviously, and buses to a couple of 356s and 914s, 911s. But they were also Volkswagen things. And um, there was a Devon C race car, which is a, a Porsche-powered race car from the 60s. Um there were even two South American market Brasilias uh, that were there. I've never seen one in person, and there were just two of them that were just there, both on Mexican plates, actually. So it was a cool smattering, and, and everything from a, a bone stock restored Beetle to a full-blown ratty, probably built in 1972 Baja, you know, and then a stock looking Volkswagen thing to a slammed on the ground Volkswagen thing. And it's, there was something there for anybody who's into Volkswagens or air cools or just old cars in general. It was a killer time. Lots of cool stuff. I, 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 I kind of want to go to four till four now every week just to see what's there. Cause it's always something different. It's, it's a really neat take. And if you're anywhere in this area, if you live out here or if you're just visiting, you know, hit me up, we'll go down there. Cause it's a good, it's a good time. It's a good take. You know, and on top it's of it, the coffee's good. It's about 20 minutes. No, it's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. It's about 20 minutes. Um, That's just still, uh, surface roads right there. What's up? You're just taking the surface roads? 20 I was going to say, it's, it's, a, it's a little longer if I take surface roads, probably about a half hour. It's 20 minutes if I take the freeway. So okay. we did take the surface roads to get there this past weekend because it was just, we were in the cult and we just didn't want to, we weren't in a hurry. We were just kind of on a Sunday drive, you know? So we actually got coffee on the way there. Um, not to not support the coffee shop, but we wanted to have our coffee and this whole pandemic times, it's hard to drink coffee while wearing a mask. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to have a hot coffee and have it get cold walking around the show. I couldn't drink it. So we actually got coffee on the way there and then we're able to just kind of enjoy the show and walk around. And um, But yeah, it's, it's a totally good take. And I, I would 
never hesitate to take anybody down there because you'll you kind of have a good time and you kind of you're gonna see some cool stuff. So it was definitely a good time. Um, I also went to a Cars and Coffee on Saturday that we briefly touched on in the beginning of the show, talking about my um, vapor lock issue. That was yep. a much more standard Cars and Coffee fare. Uh, it was the kind of stuff that you see at most Cars and Coffee where you do have your lineup of brand new Ford Focus parked to brand new Challengers parked to brand new Camaros and Mustangs and the stuff that just kind of like eh to most of us that are in this side of the car hobby, I guess. Um, the one big thing I noticed was one thing you won't see at Cars and Coffee in New England is a lot more Jeeps um, and side-by-sides. Yeah. Which is strange. Um, Maybe in New Hampshire. They're legal in some places. Yeah, some places. You need to have certain roads you can drive them on there. But here in Arizona, you can literally just drive them. Um, there's. I, I'm not quite sure what the limit is of what's street legal and what's not. Because you can buy a golf cart and plate it here. So I don't... I mean, literally, there's there's no rules. I think we talked about that before, but so side by sides are totally legal. Um, so there's a couple of those there, parked next to some Jeeps. And then I tell you, there was a side by side. I think I sent you a picture of it. It was fully enclosed, windows, doors, all around, um, and it was parked next to a YJ Wrangler, which is like the '87 to '96 body style, the square headlight Jeeps. And this side by side was every bit as big, if not bigger, than this Wrangler. They're 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 cars. They're not they're not small. <laughs> you know, it was more of like a utilitarian one than a you know the Polaris Razor style. It was like a I don't know a Kawasaki something or other with a, with a pickup bed in the back. But I mean, it, it's it's legitimately it's a car. It, it I, I don't know if it has heating and air conditioning. That's why it has windows. But it was. It's a car. It's it's a very large vehicle. Um, I did find it funny that the guy who owned it was wiping it down the entire time he was there um, because the side-by-side is not supposed to be spotlessly clean, but whatever. Um, that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, that, that show is more of a typical cars and coffee. Um, I did take a few pictures I haven't posted yet. You know, there was a old Thunderbird parked next to me that was really nice. And it was just a typical, typical cars and coffee crowd, a pretty good mixture of things. Um, just not the same kind of crowd that goes to a show at four till four, you know, just more of a typical what you're used to crowd. So, and the final event this weekend, which is somewhat of an anomaly in the year 2020, um, two things are going to three car events in one weekend is one of them. Um, and the other one is a DSM meet. I, yeah, it was like a quick throwback to 2005 right there. Like it was not a normal thing anymore. <laughs> so there was a gentleman here on Instagram who has a, uh, a one G eclipse, a one G a front drive turbo eclipse. Um, and his buddy who has an Evo and they put together this, this meet, um, which drew people from as far as Vegas and Los Angeles. Um, well, yeah, it was, by the end of the night, they were probably, I'd say they were 55, 60 cars, and I'd say a solid 40 of them were DSMs and Evos. It was uh, the kind of showing I have not seen in a while from the DSM community. We'll put it that way. Yeah, right. Um, not one Galant, though. Not one Galant. Yeah. So I will say there has been a, a shift in DSM ownership. Um, yeah. Or maybe it's the same ownership that it was back when we got into it because everybody was pretty young. Um, I didn't stay very long because the, again, not to be too into the whole what's going on right now, but the adherence to the to the recommendations was not high. Um, so I didn't stay around very long for fear of not being healthy and safe. Um, but the event itself, just seeing all these DSMs together in one place again was was pretty good. It was like kind of like a feel good kind of thing. Like to know that the younger generation is still keeping these things going. And even if they're not as nice as they used to be, cause they're older and you know, I'd never seen DSMs with cracked dashes. I guess it's more common out here cause of the sun and the heat, but I will say mm-hmm. that they certainly do crack out here in the sun. 
Um, mm. It was it was neat to see. Like I said, there were probably there were probably seven or eight first gens, and I haven't seen seven or eight running first gens in the past seven or eight years total. I don't think. So no. it was it was neat to see, and there was one car that was just like yours. It was the the champagne over over gray. Um, champagne over gray ninety Talon. There was a you know a couple of front drives, a couple all wheel drives. Um, and there were probably twenty two Gs, twenty five two Gs, and then the rest of the Mitsus were all Evos. So it was it was pretty neat. Two well, Gs did definitely like one Gs lasted longer out here. 2G's like disintegrated out here. Yeah, they rotted real bad. They they must have made some kind of mistake when they made those cars, <laughs> or they changed yeah, the they were. the metal uh, changed the metal, metallurgy or something. But they did not last long in New England. So yeah, but yeah, it was it was cool to see. It's definitely not a not a common sight anymore. Um, the Evos were all like full on drag builds, you know. Slicks on all four corners, kind of Evos. A bunch of them came in together, and I, I almost got knocked out by the race gas smell. You know, so it was definitely a uh, mm-hmm. definitely some fast Evos, but um, it was neat to see. Like I said, I didn't stick around long, but maybe once things change in the future, I'll go to one of the another one of their meetups and stay a bit longer. And I'll actually bring my cool. DSM. If I didn't bring my DSM, I brought the Lancer. That's out the Colt because it was uh, it was already out, and I didn't know what kind of turnout it was going to be, but. I did regret not bringing a DSM. So, because regardless of my turbo or non-turbo status, I would have probably had the cleanest of all the one Gs that were there. Mm-hmm. So, next time, if there isn't next time. But cool. It was neat to see. Yeah. The car season is turned on here in Phoenix. There's stuff all summer, but the winter time is when everything really starts coming out because. Cars that don't have air conditioning are bearable to drive. So it's been, uh, mm. it's time for all the fun stuff. Again, nice. whatever fun stuff there winds up being. So things that aren't canceled. I guess the outdoor stuff is probably your best bet anyway, right? So car stuff yeah. is all outdoors as long as you do your best and keep your distance and do your thing and enjoy your car and enjoy your car people. Mm hmm. I think I need to spend some more time going down to four to four and maybe we'll try to get something going with some of the other Mitsu guys out here and have a meetup once in a while. I know Lars Anderson is trying to do one more. They posted for Saturday. Oh, really? The 14th. Yeah. Excellent. Cars and coffee style or show style? Cars and coffee style, but lawn events. Hmm. So it's probably a way for them to continue troll how many people show up yep by charging because yep. if you just if you just thought it was an open cars and coffee 300 people would show up at Lars anderson which yeah um on a normal year sure. yeah, <laughs> yeah on a normal year. Uh, i bet people would show up this year too um no, no i'm saying on a normal year it would be great but on this year you don't want that yeah. so um but actually i'm not sure how they're gonna work that because you're not even supposed to have more than 25 people outside in a place so yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know. Regardless, we'll figure it out. Um, yep. Any Cray Cray Don't Tell Me's? I have a couple. I got a few if you want to start. We can do like two, maybe three. Sure. We haven't done them in a while. No, absolutely we'll start. not. I got, I got one for you. Yeah, it's on the other computer. Slide it over here. All right. Sedan, two-door blue, Florida car. Motors a 327 from the 63 Corvette. Muncie four-speed. New inner outer rocker panels, door skins, tail light panel, under the bumper. Joins the trunk floor. Crager rims, new tires. Emergency brake has been brought up to New York inspection standards. Seats were reupholstered a few years ago. Has a few bubbles on the trunk lid and some rust behind the trunk lid. I have the body panel to replace that with. Oof. This should be a gimme. This should be a good warm up. Did you say it was a sedan or a coupe? Sedan, two door, blue. With a Chevy 327 in it. And yep. it's, is it still a GM car? Yes. 
So is it a first gen Chevy two or Nova? Like a 65 no. Nova? No. Nope. Hmm. I don't know why you said this would be a gimme. There's not a lot of information there. The motor's not from the right car. It had quarters replaced, which is every car in New England or New York. Yeah. It had Muncie four speed, which is probably also from the Corvette. The common car to put that kind of stuff in would be, it looks like a 57 Chevy. But no, because the panel. Is it? There you go. Ah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See? I, I, I guess. Well, my brain went there because 327, that was always like the hot setup back in the day was to put a 327 Corvette motor in your. Oh, this five, is like. Try five. This is definitely like a mid seventies built car. Well, I'm way decently. I don't. I don't know if the. I'll. I'll have to send you the link. I don't know if it's expired because I've had it up on my computer for a while. But it's. Uh, I'll send you a link afterwards. It's like a decent car, actually. Um, but like, yeah, definitely like a mid seventies, eighties type, fifty seven Chevy build. I'm into it. Yeah. All right. Let's see. I got one for you here. This is a blank, blank, blank. Uh, I'm going to give you the price first. We're going to start there. How's that sound? Okay. So this vehicle is $20,000. Oof. All right. Uh, it is a four by four. Okay. Inline, inline six, aluminum alloy wheels, cruise control, okay. power brakes, power windows, roof, okay. luggage rack, tinted windows, auto hubs, dual, spelled wrong, power seats, power door locks, this should be a giveaway part, a select track transfer case, full center console, leather seats, power steering, rear window wiper, and tilt steering wheel. In 2001, they rebuilt the transfer case. In 2004, they rebuilt the transmission. In 2012, they rebuilt the engine. In 2016, we're going a little less aggressive here. Replaced a fuel filter. In 2019, new tires. In 2020, new catalytic converter and muffler. Will not pass smog. This is in California. So this is a twenty thousand dollar vehicle that will not pass smog. But it's post smog. Mm-hmm. Um, straight six. It's got to be Japanese. It does not have to be Japanese. Really? The straight six. Your big clue was the select transfer case. Sure. Um, it's like a. All right. It's a Jeep Wagoneer. I'll give you the brand. It's a Grand Cherokee. Uh, think less lofty. It's a regular Cherokee. This is a regular ass 1988 Jeep Cherokee that will not pass smog. And they are looking for. $20,000. What is it? Like an 89? Like what? It is an 88 Jeep Cherokee for $20,000. Will not pass smog. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> See, you threw it from a loop for the... I couldn't remember what, what had select track. And then when yep. you said 20 grand and a straight six, I was like, well, this is Toyota territory. Yeah. Well, that's Toyota price. That's Toyota pricing for sure. Um, but no, yeah. this is a regular square body early... Jeep Cherokee um, with a four liter, nothing special. It doesn't even list the mileage. I don't think it matters because it's had a new motor, new transmission, and new. If you rebuilt the transmission in 2001, does it even matter anymore? Like, yeah, right. It's now older. The, the transmission rebuild is now older than most cars on the road. Um, yeah. Also, this, this vehicle has one photograph taken from. I'd say 150 feet away. So the transmission rebuild is now older than the car was at the time it was rebuilt. Uh, yeah, it is actually. Yeah. I apologize. The transmission was 04, but that still stands. The transfer, the transfer case was 01 and the engine was 2012. Okay. But don't worry. They put a new fuel filter in it in 2016. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's right. a that's a dreamer and a half right there. 
And again, you're right. That's that's right. strong money for like an 88 Land Cruiser, let alone right. an 88 Cherokee. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. I've got... This is going to be another... I think my might throw you for loop. Blank, blank, blank. Very well built. 350 Chevy with 350 trans. 10 bolt rear. Runs great. Fast and loud. Flat black. Clear PA title. Call or text for info. Show contact info. <laughs> this is one of kind. Really gets a lot of attention and shows. Also have small aluminum tank. Mount for front and wheelie bars. Mount. Mounts are welded to rear. Took them off so I don't trip over them. Fun car <laughs> drive. Huh. Well, he says it's very unique, but it's flat black with a 350 and a turbo 350. So it's already not very unique. Um. Also, wheelie bars on a 350-350 10-bolt car are uh, a bit of a dreamer here as well. Um, maybe. No, ain't no maybe about that. Um, it sounds like it's got to be still in a GM product because it's all GM running gear. And I know you're disdain for El Camino, so I'm going to guess it's an El Camino. Nope. Nope. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. Hmm. Yep. So it's not a pickup truck or an El Camino or a Chevy, probably. I'm totally wrong. Nope. Uh, is it still a GM? No. Oh, Jesus. There's <laughs> not a lot of info here. Um, so that combo would be common to swap into like a 31 Ford as well. Um, the shape is similar, but it's not one of those. All right. Well, it's going to be hard to figure out way back then what it is. Uh, 28 Dodge. Nope. All right. I get one I get one more shot in the dark because I don't think I have enough info to go any more than this. Um, and it wasn't. A, yeah. It's not. Similar. It's not an American car. Is that Topolino? Nope. Not an American car. It's European, but it's not continental. Oh, um, it's an Anglia. Oh, it's so close. It's not an Anglia? A Ford 100E? No. Nope. All right. I, I'm, I'm not going to get What else would they have built drag cars out of? Fiat Topolinos, Anglias. Uh, oof. A common drag car. A Thames yeah. panel van. Nope. Give up? Yeah, I do. 60 Morris Minor. That's not a common drag car. It's a gasser. This thing's set up as gasser. Uh, it sounds cool. I wouldn't say it's a common, uh, common It's got a pretty car. recent... Uh, decal package on it here because somebody put on the side of it COVID killer. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, that's cool though. I, again, I'm not, I don't think it's a common. I think Anglia and I think um, Topolino when I think European cars turn into drag cars, but that's cool. I probably would like that unless it's terrible. I guess maybe with that's the short. No, you know what? He's still not going to be pulling wheelies in that car unless it's a real stout, stout 350. Yeah. All right. One more and we'll wrap it up. What do you got for me? All right. Testing the waters. Oh, boy. This is a great driver. Far from a show car. Gets lots of looks and thumbs up. You can hop in this car and drive it anywhere. I'm not in a rush to sell this. Full capitals. I do not need help selling this. Stop calling me and wasting my time. Back to regular letters. I am open to reasonable trades as well. A toy hauler, a motorcycle, a Chevy, a Honda, older, sporty, or luxury cars, etc. No projects. I'd like my free time back. Let me know what, what you got. Blank, 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 blank. V8. 6-liter LS, true mileage unknown, out of an 05 4L80E transmission, rebuilt between 10 and 20,000 miles ago. However, no proof. 
Okay. Custom drive shaft. PRK PRK wiring harness. Only about okay. 2,000 miles on the setup. We set the mileage to zero when we installed the gauge cluster. The speedometer cable was not working when I bought the car, so the overall mileage wasn't correct anyway. Great condition American racing wheels, brand new tires, polished lug nuts, gel cell Optima, Headman headers, new knock sensor, new spark plugs, full exhaust, new shocks, new wrist springs, new radiator, large fan, new bushings and front end by PRK, align at the same time. Vintage air, just recharged as I had a link from installation. Doesn't say if it's fixed or not. Dakota digital gauge cluster, new fuel tank, new fuel pump, new fuel neck, new LED tail lights, new front blinker lenses, disc brakes in the front, new carpet kit, new door weather stripping, brand new vintage wiper blades. Chrome is good, not perfect. Bucket of parts included, okay. include original steering wheel, original taillights, etc. The bad. Uh, paint needs to be done. That's peeling, not prepped. Car was redone in the 90s. Seats are great shape. Carpets, door panels, back deck can be redone. Fine for a driver. Couple of windows are cracked. Driver's rear and a wing window. Some fiberglass used to repair trunk. Solid car otherwise. Aha. Uh-huh. You said car. I was like almost leaning truck, but. Oh, well, hey, there you go. I almost the name of it before, too, but I didn't. So I like this, too. Um, um, fuel hey, gauge is off. I've paid to fix this multiple times. Clearly, I paid the wrong shop. <laughs> Try five Chevy. Wow. First guess. I mean, all the stuff. The, the Dakota Digital Dash. I thought that I thought, I thought the Dakota Digital and LED taillights that are factory replacements would give it away. Yeah, and then when you, once you said front bushings and stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, those you usually rebuild those front suspensions on those cars because they're all worn out by this time, and and it was painted in the '90s. Yeah, yep. It's not a bad looking car. That's even cool. more of like a. That sounds like it was a real '80s build, and they put an LS into it. Um, you know, other than the seat material, it's not very dated. I would drive it as is. I still like 57 Chevys. Uh, this is a, this is a 55, but yeah, it's 55. I'm, 55s are cool. Actually, I like 56s a lot. I prefer 56s too. Yeah. I would drive any of them in any configuration, two door, four door, two door post convertible station wagon, two door station wagon, four door station wagon. I like all of them. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd seek one out, but if one came my way, I wouldn't turn it down. Right. And there's so much stuff available for him too. You can, you know, dump that kingpin style front suspension, and you know that whole Mustang two front swap is so easy now. And they probably have other setups now that are even better. C four. I think it's, I think they can put a whole C four under yeah. them. There's there's so much cool stuff you can do to them for like almost bolt in kits now. It's they're neat. They're neat cars. And you can this, also buy them done for not that much money. This wouldn't be the one. It's twenty three grand, and all the bodywork needs oh. to be redone. It's cracked all around the trunk. It's cracked below the window. It's it's a mess. Um, but if this car was five grand, uh, it's got an LS in it. So if this car was ten grand, I'd, I'd yeah. do it. But at twenty three grand, it's it's a bit. It's a bit much. I, I'd, I'd spend twenty three thousand dollars on it, however, before I spent twenty grand on an eighty eight Cherokee. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm just right. out of the market a little bit. But whatever. Anyway, that was that was a good uh, throwback to like six months ago. The last time we did one of those, I think maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. It's been a bit cool. Well, as always, you can follow us on Off Topic Podcast on Facebook. Out off topic on Twitter, out off topic on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, Raced in Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? On Instagram at TSISS350. All right. Keep cars analog and aim for the roads. Yeah.